Hey everyone, welcome back to Inspire Beyond Borders. This week we're back in Cairo with Larry and Yaz as they tell us about their experiences making papyrus, haggling for prices at the bazaar, and then we find out how Larry and Yaz met. Start planning today and take that trip you've always wanted to. Every adventure gives you the opportunity to experience something new. Traveling will pay tenfold what you pay to actually do it. This is Inspire Beyond Borders, and we're here to help you see the world. Okay, so we're going to start today off talking about the Grand Egyptian Museum in Cairo and everything they experienced there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the massive, like, it's outside of outside of the UK, like Tutankhamun's um, head that you see on all the pictures and everything. It's got everything else there. I would definitely say it's worth a visit because there's so much history. There's so many exhibitions and it's massive. It's a really big place to go to. So we spent a couple of hours there that were very rushed, didn't have time to go through. And again, the tour guide, a little bit lackluster. So again, my brother, Dr. Google, uh, worked it out pretty well. And we ended up getting loads of stuff. But you can you can go up to things. You can almost touch them in certain places. I would say that if you're looking for somewhere indoors, because it's very hot as well, if you're going at a time of year when it is very hot or it's raining, that's one of the places to go to. Uh, if, especially if you love a museum, it's well worth going to, I think. And is this all Egyptian history? The whole museum dedicated to Egyptian history? I think it did have a couple of other um, exhibitions that were sort of floating ones that would come in and out. But the, the majority of it was um, mostly Egyptian history. We could see like artifacts from Tutankhamun's time and Ramses and things like that. So it was very much Egyptian. How much time do you think you could spend at this museum and feel like you've accomplished what you wanted to see there? I think if you're one of those people that likes to look at the intricate details of things, you would probably spend maybe four or five hours there. If you are somebody that's sort of like, oh, I really like the look at this, I'm going to have a wander around, but you don't need to spend maybe a while looking at each separate artifact because after a while it does sort of get samey because there's only so many um, statues you can see and things like this. So I would say a decent amount of time would be between two and three hours minimum. And then if you want to spend more time reading every single um, sort of um, signage and things like that, then yeah, go for longer than that. But definitely two or three hours is well worth it. Cairo continues on to the next day. We start with a little papyrus making. Can you elaborate on what that is? Was it a class? It was a tour you joined and then you took a class on how to make papyrus and this is all how it went down? So I'm not sure what experience Larry had. However, my brother and I got taken to this working papyrus factory, I guess is what they said. And so they must, they, they had some sort of deal with the tour guides and it worked like that. So if you did buy anything, that there was probably some kind of commission or something like this, I believe. So they took us there and they were, for us, they were very much like, oh, this is how you make papyrus in these beautiful colors. And, and they showed us how they used to get the colors from the beetles and things like this. It was really interesting. And then you were allowed to wander around the factory floor. You were allowed to purchase things and they had a variety of sort of things. So I knew that that's some of the presents that I wanted to get for people very light, very easy to travel with. That's what I wanted. So I was very excited about going there and getting something traditionally um, Egyptian, so to speak. And um, we wandered around. They gave us a tour. They showed us how to weave the papyrus, like 
um, plant together. They showed us the start product and how it ended. So all in all, I think for us, it was a couple of hours. That was It was well spent. It was a really entertaining day. Uh, they showed you how they dyed some of the paper. They showed you how it came out at the end. And then the big thing that they ended off with, it was very much gimmicky, but it was enjoyable nonetheless. They said that, oh, you know, you can't rip papyrus because it's so strong. And they, they went on this, you know, real big rant about how it was so strong and you couldn't do anything to it. And they were getting all these kids to try and pull it apart. And truth of form, they couldn't pull this thing apart. And then it comes around to me and they were like, here, but you can't rip it. So I just kind of turned it around and ripped it downwards. It's like physics, guys. This is how you do it. And then I felt really bad because they were like, well, this isn't how it's going to happen. And they said, you can actually have, you know, you can win a prize if you do this. And I was like, so what do I win? I was obviously joking, but I said, what do I win? And they were like, uh, um, this massive, beautiful papyrus behind them, beautiful blue, cobalt blue colors. And it's exactly what I wanted, but it was about two and a half thousand dollars worth. And I was like, that's the one that I want. That's the one that I want. I didn't get it in the end. Really upset about it. <laughs> now, yes, I have to say, I'm very surprised by this because I forgot whose color was what in our, our show document that we have with questions and information. And I figured that when we got to the ripping it part, it was Larry because of how buff he is. But <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> In this next segment, Larry and Yaz tell us about their experience at a mosque in Cairo, and then we head over to a bazaar where Larry and Yaz will show us their haggling skills. Larry, you get to the mosque of Ibn Tulun. Can you describe what the mosque looks like, how it appears to you? Is this the first mosque you've ever been in? Yeah, so this was the first mosque that I was in, um, and and then like... The second one was at the end of this trip, the Blue Mosque in Istanbul, but it was like later on in the day, so the mosque was closing, the side entrance, and I, I just remember we had like kind of persuade the people and they like let us in, and it was, it was a pretty large structure where it was almost like a courtyard, and then they had the walls around on the outside, and uh, they had like rooms that were off on the on the different side, and you had to take your shoes off and you had to put on these slippers, these like cloth slippers that you had to wear um, around, which, you know, was not an issue. But, you know, the whole structure itself is this odd brick. So it was, it was just um, it was like very, you know, kind of like very interesting to be in there. And there was no one there was no one else in there because they were closing. Um, so we were able to have the, the run of the place. But, you know, I grew up protestant so it was like very different from any any other religious building that i had been in but it was just something to you know to really admire the the turkish style of it compared to like you know more of like the classical roman style of of different um religious buildings that i had been in prior to this now you mentioned it was hot there so was there any particular dress code when going to the mosque aside from removing the shoes both of the mosques that we were in you weren't allowed to wear shorts so they had spare like a a lengthier like skirt or whatever that you that we had to put on when we were in there your legs had to be covered so put that on and then again you know changing of the shoes and and, and things of this nature but 
you know, in, in comparison, the mosque, much older building than like than, than the Blue Mosque, um, with, especially with like the designs, because the Blue Mosque, vibrant colors throughout, you know, on the ceiling and, and the windows. And whereas this is like um, this massive, like mud brick structure that you're in in Cairo generally have to make sure that you're covering up so for men it's navel to the knee that they're covered up so if you are going to visit shorts that are longer like past the knee are okay and then for women it's generally they could give you like an extra sort of outside sort of outwardly dress that you just put on top or like when you go to a church and you've got to cover your shoulders and so you can just wrap a scarf around you they often advise you to do that so if you are going on one of the trips like that and you're going to go to a mosque definitely you'll know that you've got to take your shoes off so they don't wear holy socks uh, and then make sure that you've got something that you can just wrap around yourself. So even if it's just like um, a scarf that you're using to shade yourself from the light, that will be easy enough to cover up. Other than the dress situation, was it any different going to the mosque as a female than for a male? So I've been in a lot of mosques in my time. <laughs> um, and the, the way that it runs is if it's more of a touristy one, it's not really a big deal. You wander around with your group if you've got a tour guide or, and in that particular, the, the mosque that I remember the most was the, um, Muhammad Ali Alabasta one. And that one had this fabulous chandelier in the middle of the, um, main prayer room. And it was still a working mosque. So if you wanted you, you could go and pray. And so, um, there was a little bit of an area for that. The side rooms where you can go and do the ablution and go and come back in and pray if you wanted to. Or it was just where you could just sit around and sort of have a chat. And they were sort of older than I realized and they weren't as well kept. So birds were flying in and there was bird poop in certain places. And that was a real surprise to me because I would have thought that they would keep it uh, a little bit more hygienic on that front on some parts of it. And then there was bits that were further inward that you could read uh, your praise if you wanted to. And then as a female, generally, it's not a massive issue when it's a very touristy mosque. If it's um, a working mosque where you are just walking in, they will separate you into male and female areas. So it's very, very distinct before you go in that you will be allowed into a certain area. So this is why I knew it was more touristy and you could just wander around. How would you say that going to these different countries and visiting churches or cathedrals and mosques, how do they differ from churches or cathedrals? Aside from their appearance. I think for me, it's not very different in that when you walk in it's cover up whether you're male or female you go in you can look around be respectful and sort of see what's there the the mosque in istanbul is beautiful it's got all the geometric patterns like all of that islamic art is very very distinct there whereas when you go to sort of churches one of my favorite things are the stained glass windows and you're allowed in most parts of the churches i mean i live in rome it's very very church centered um and there's beautiful beautiful churches here so i think it's all about being respectful when you walk in and I, to be honest, any sort of building that I've been into where it's a building of worship, go in. If you want to take a picture, figure out whether you can or not, because there's often signs up that say, please don't use splash, for example, in churches here in Rome, um, just to sort of preserve the paintings and things. So it just depends on where you are. As long as you're respectful with it, it it's really not. I don't think it's very different. You had the chance to go to the Khan El Khalili Bazaar. How does a bazaar differ from your average American or European market? I don't know that there's a great difference. It felt more crowded than a lot of the markets I had been to. You know, I would also say that like 
Whereas a lot of the markets, it's not like they're not like separate buildings. They may be like separate tables, but they're not like separate buildings. Whereas like with the bazaar, it was all like separate buildings. You would imagine like touristy shops, like one on top of the other is, is kind of like how it was in the bazaar. And the bazaar is, is pretty massive. So down different alleyways and you go upstairs to certain places. And then, you know, once you're like a like little squares, like each of those buildings have their own stores as well. And we didn't have anything set in our minds as far as like what we wanted, like if we wanted to buy anything. It was more along the lines of just kind of like looking around and being part of that experience and taking in that experience that I not found anywhere in America or to my trips up until that point when I was in Egypt. But I think the people, my colleagues I traveled with, like a couple of them bought different herbs and things like that for gifts for people back in America. A couple of them bought shirts and things like that. But it wasn't, um, we didn't have anything specific in mind when we went there. Was this a mostly touristy type of bazaar or do people living in Cairo go there to get things that they need on a daily basis as well? I don't know if I'd say that people go there on a daily basis. I think it's become touristy now. I think it's something that probably wasn't meant to be this massive like tourist location. And now it's kind of just transformed into this because people know about it or it's like one of the options that is recommended when you do research to travel there. People who live in Cairo aren't going there to get groceries or anything like that. Unless okay. you live nearby, I don't think like people are like venturing specifically to to that bazaar to, to collect their goods. Was there anything that was being sold that stood out to you in the bazaar? Like, wow, I didn't expect that to be here. Or, wow, these mounds of spices are available or anything of that nature. I, I've been to a couple of different bazaars in different countries, and I think it was very sort of run-of-the-mill, the way that it works. I think the grand one that I've been to is in Istanbul. The Grand Bazaar was very much a, a beautiful place, whereas the one in Egypt I felt was, it was more down-to-earth, very easygoing. You could wander around. I think that one of the things that I probably would advise is that you are very careful with what you're carrying your money in and things like this in terms of safety. The same in any busy place that you go to. There's so many different alleyways. There's so many different places that you could just sort of wander in and out of. If you've got small children or things like this, I would be very, I'd be very conscious of where they are at all times. But it was nice. You'd walk down a little sort of side street or a little alleyway and you could smell the beautiful fragrant spices. And, and that was, I think that's one of the experiences that's very auditory. And, and when you sort of get a chance to see and feel and touch things, that's one of the things that I remember from that place. It very much felt like I'm in the middle of Cairo and, and this isn't real, like normal present day. It could have been anywhere in time, really. Now, you guys had purchased stuff from the bazaar. Are these set prices, or is this something you can haggle back and forth with the person who's trying to sell it? I'm a big haggler, so I love haggling. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, most of these countries are always very much like you can haggle. So you go in, you do it with a smile, and generally I have like a, a common line of whoever I'm with, if they want to buy something, I'm like, but look at their lovely face, look how beautiful they are. You don't want to let them down. And if you do it with a smile, I find that they're much more accommodating than if you're like, no, I'm not going to pay that because they are marking up the price massively. But then you also have to think about where they're coming from and how much things cost. Like Larry said earlier, it was so cheap for, for me going as a Brit and who also worked in Qatar. It, it wasn't really like a big thing to pay X amount. So it wasn't that bad. 
but I wasn't going to be ripped off. Uh, I think there was a nice little bit in between. How about you, Larry? Did you end up haggling or did you just pay whatever they asked for? For me, it comes down to, it always kind of comes down to like, how badly do you want something? So that's kind of like where like the power comes from. I just think about like different pieces of art that I have like from my travels and, and with like the, the bizarre with places like that, I usually try to go into like three or four different stores to see like who will give me whatever, you know, whatever price that they're willing to, to part with. And I just kind of like play them off of each other, I would say. And then I guess I try to smile as well, but I, um, maybe not as much as Yaz, but I think I just kind of see what they're willing to offer and then how badly do I want it? And then usually if I'm with somebody like a local, I can, you know, I'll just ask them like, is this something that I can also get somewhere else? Um, maybe, you know, in the travel from some, you know, moving on to some other city and then, and then I kind of know, but yeah, I usually try to like, um, haggle and figure out like what I'm, I'm willing to, to part with. And I'm always usually like for most of the traveling, I'm always trying to do like the conversion rate, like on my phone. So I'm like, what would I be willing to pay for this in like in America? You know, like what would I be willing to spend in America for this? And if it's like totally outrageous, then I'm just like, well, you have a nice day. And then I kind of move on. Larry, your your charisma alone should be able to get you anything you want. I was going to say, wherever you go, everything, they tell you that it's original and it's not. Just bear that in mind. Whenever you go to one of these places, they're like, oh, this is one of a kind. We're, we're going to sell it to you for a good price. And you walk into the first place and you think, wow, it's beautiful. And then you walk to the next shop, maybe two streets away, maybe two shops away. Exactly the same thing. So like Larry said, it's, it's how much you want it. Chances are you will find something pretty much the same if you walk to another shop, two shops down. And so, yeah, do your best on haggling that way around, point them off each other and just go, well, he said he'd give it to me for this much. Like, what are you going to do? Um, and so that does actually work. How do you find something that is authentic then to a country that you're visiting? I don't know if you do unless it's a really out of the way place. When I went to Jordan, I got sold this ring and they said, you could get it nowhere else in the world, nowhere else in the world. And I got it right outside the treasury. And I thought that I'd done, you know, it was beautiful. Um, I literally walked into a shop in Rome about a month ago and I was like, huh, there's the ring that I got. Um, so <laughs> it's not... I d- I think it's very difficult unless you search out for places and you research online where you can find somebody that's like a jewelry store or a, or a whatever sort of place. Yeah, you, you've got to do your research to find something original. The papyrus, the fact that that's probably pretty original to that part of the world. And there's like the alabaster that's pretty original to that part of the world as well. So like things like, you know, things like that, I think, you know, jewelry is a little bit more suspect just because, you know, there's going to be places that are going to sell, you know, similar thing. I got like a an Ankh symbol uh, to go like on my necklace. And I'm sure that I could probably get that somewhere else. For me, it was more about the idea that I was getting this hieroglyphic from a, a place that for their hieroglyphic. Um, I do the same thing. It's, I know I'm not going to possibly get an original piece, but it's from the place that I wanted it to be from. In this segment, Yaz will take us to the old city in Cairo, and then we learn about how Larry and Yaz first met. As you had the opportunity to tour around the old city of Cairo, what is that like? 
it was really interesting, sort of really old school vibey, very small, narrow streets, tall buildings on the side, not skyscraper tall, but just in terms of where we were. So you got a nice amount of shade and you felt like you were walking through a film, really. I thought it was beautiful. Um, and I thought it was a little bit more authentic because we sort of said to the tour guide, look, can you take us somewhere touristy? Can you give us a little bit of what Cairo is actually like? And we do want to go to the old city because we'd heard about there was one of the churches there. We went to the Citadel as well. And then we went to one of the old Coptic churches, the Hanging Church, which was a really small, narrow building when you walked up to it. And you couldn't really tell that it was a church. And obviously that sort of makes sense within the area and the time. But then when you walked in, there were these beautiful wooden beams and it was very small, very packed. But that's sort of what we wanted to see. We wanted to see both sort of sides of the coin. You also mentioned that there was heavy military rules. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so as soon as you went into the old town, pretty much every street, there was some kind of military personnel there wandering around. There were guns, there were this, that. As a Brit, you don't really see very often. So it was sort of um, disconcerting because that's not what I'm used to. And then every time you went into a building or you went somewhere that was official, they would go through your bag. They would make you go through like metal scanners. And my brother has a camera with lots of different gadgets. And so we spent a lot of time at these places where he was constantly packing and unpacking his bag, which was a little bit difficult at times or sort of time consuming. So anywhere you went into, they were checking every time? Every single time. And my brother had this weird little tool. It's, it squirts out the, the dust from the surface of the camera lens. And like, what is this? Why have you got this? And it was the same thing every single time. And I was just like, just leave it. Leave it at the hotel and then we'll be fine. You will stop getting this, you know, sitting at a place for five minutes whilst you empty your entire bag and then put it all back in again. This whole time we've been asking Yaz and Larry about their trips, which to this point were separate. And Cairo, they did on their own, never knowing each other, had their various experiences. And as their trip to Cairo came to an end, you guys were able to meet each other on the train to Luxor. Is that correct? We actually got picked up by the tour company. So they came to our hotel first, picked myself and my brother up. And then we went to the um, Hilton and picked the boys up. And then we picked up a South African couple after that and all went to the train station together from there. You guys start talking in this van that they picked you up in and lifelong friendship established? Well, they sort of said, where are you from? And my brother and I are from this dinky little town in the UK, in the north of the UK, where no one's ever heard of it. And so we always say that we're from near Manchester. And right away, Larry pipes up and he's like, like Manchester United. And me and my brother are like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm a lifelong fan. And then that was it. That's where the friendship started. <laughs> that sealed Larry in. He was set. <laughs> you know, you're talking about dinky little towns. Aaron, Larry, and I are from the dinkiest of the dinky little towns in the world. <laughs> you guys meet. Larry falls in love with the fact that you are near some place where his favorite team in the world plays and you're heading to this train. Can you describe this train? Because it's probably a little bit different from most trains considering it's a 10 hour ride uh, that you have. So can you describe that train for us a little bit? Chaotic. When we first arrived at the station, we were set up in this area, you know, where there's like food vendors and things, you know, things of that nature. And, it's just like any other station maybe that you've been to where, you know, we kind of sat around. I actually, it's, it's so funny because we always joke about this nowadays, but I was talking more to her brother at the time, just because we happened to be sitting at the same table and she was sitting with 
my two other colleagues. So they tell us time to leave. So we go down the escalator and then her and I kind of, I just like trying to be chivalrous, let her go first. Then we talked a little bit then, but as you're walking down the platform for the train, there are so many people there and it was like very chaotic. And the guide was telling us, stay close, stay close, stay close. You have your luggage. You have all this luggage. You have these big suitcases and things. And you're trying to like maneuver them around the people that are possibly just taking the train just to go to the next stops that we were going to when we were it to, to Luxor. And so it was very, very chaotic until we actually got into the train cars themselves. And then it's basically just the regular seats that you see on trains. I had taken a sleeper train from Paris to the south of France, like heading to Barcelona, and there were beds in in the cars. Like you had your own room. It wasn't like this at all. So it was basically just your normal train that we ended up taking overnight and sleeping on. So it was not very comfortable at all. The the seats didn't even like recline to go down or anything like that. So it was an experience. That was much of my experience until we actually got to Luxor. But then we got to Luxor, which was even more chaotic than the train station in Cairo. Larry's version is very different. He yeah, is- let's hear about let's hear about this chivalry. It's not that much different. It is. So we're walking along and like we strike up this conversation in the car. This is great. We're having a chat. And we get to the station and there's two tables. So I go and sit down at the first table further away. One of his colleagues comes and sits down. We start having a chat. He sits on this other table like a mile away, is completely amassed in this conversation with my brother about football. So the pair of them are like, you sat, let's talk about this. (laughs) Didn't even say hello, not a word. So then we walk down this escalator and I'm like, oh, hi. And I try to strike up some conversation. Larry's like not having it. He's like, you go first, you carry on. I'm just going to talk to your brother. There's the difference between the two. And now I'm like, okay, cool. This guy's a bit like, you know, standoffish and left it at that. It wasn't until later that we made little friends there. Brother was on a totally different escalator, first of all. Like, let's be clear about that. He was like going on the other one. And as far as like, let's tell the truth here because... The tables, not a mile away, exaggeration much, um, it was like two tables away. So we had just been cramped into this tiny ass van and need some space. Yeah, just need some space. Just that like mile away. It's like I'm not having anything to do with her. That was it. That was my first impression of Larry. In the car, he was great. Like, oh, you're from Manchester, Manchester United. No, get to this train station. He's like, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to talk to your brother. But you reeled her back in with that with that charisma that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> or just being the only one out of the people I was with that was to give the phone number up at the different places we saw them. <laughs> Pretty well. You 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 have to like here's the part of it though that you have to like imagine, right? So you're in an area, you're traveling in a place where you don't speak the language. You can't understand what people are saying, what they're writing, you know, the signs, this and that. And then you happen to meet people that speak your same language. So I know for like myself and like the other two guys I was with, it was just like a nice kind of connection to make that we, you know, like the the other people that could speak English besides the tour guides or other travelers that we could have, you know, that we were going to travel with. But we ended up on two totally different riverboats when we did, you know, when we did see them in 
the the different locations, you know, whatever. People were excited, and then I like disregarded different people that were her tours just to talk to them. Her and her brother, and like that person got angry, but we can get to all that later. <laughs> Excellent. So this sounds like a great first half of your trip, and a good place to leave off with you two meeting, and then next time on the podcast we can pick it up in luxor and the rest of your trips throughout egypt but before we do that we'd like to ask you a couple questions about the cairo portion of your trip was there anything that you would go back and change if you if you could do it again and um, i think i would probably spend a little bit more time up there i think i would like to go um and go to and spend more time in alexandria as well i probably prefer to do a night there rather than just doing it as a day trip and on the whole yeah just more time instead of just being sort of ferried around that's the one thing with a tour guide that you don't often you don't get to wander the streets you don't sort of get to discover things by yourself and whilst it's nice that you've got it organized and you've seen everything you don't always get to feel it in a natural organic way you were in egypt for 10 days could you have spent that whole time in cairo and been completely satisfied or is that a little bit too much time no, I would say like I think I had maybe two full days there over the course of about three days, and because my friend had lived there, I'd gone away. I'd gone to this really lovely um, restaurant on the Nile, which she'd recommended, and it was beautiful. It was this place called Sequoia, and they did amazing food, really good quality, and it was a, it was a realistic price as well. It wasn't particularly but very good quality. So there's little things like that that I maybe would have liked to have seen, but I don't think any more than sort of three days, three full days there anyway. Is there anything in Cairo that if you went back, you would probably not go to next time? Was there anything that you just weren't terribly blown away by or anything? I would say that I, when I, I would agree with the two to three days that you need there. Personally, for me, I don't need the camel ride again. <laughs> I, would be, I would be content with the, not having the camel ride again. Even, you know, and it's funny because I said that. Like right after, right after we got done with the camel ride, I was like, well, I'd be good if I never did that again. And then I did it in Morocco. So, I mean, but like, I, I wouldn't need that again in, in Egypt. Uh, I think that personally for me, they, they were in the process of building the new Egyptian museum when I was there. And I think it's, I think it was going to be completed in this year, 2020. I would want to go to that. Like, I wish I would have been able to go see that. And then I would agree also with what Yaz said. Alexandria, you need two days. You definitely need an overnight. When we were there, we had missed out on the library, you know, the library of Alexandria. And uh, it would have been, you know, we were able to like go up to the windows and then we got yelled at. But like, so it would have been nice to have been able to get inside. Those are the things I would say. And then there's a part of it where, I would have liked to venture around the old city. It, you know, it would have been nice again to kind of get out and, and venture around there. I think conversely, when it comes to um, Alexandria, actually going to the site of where Ptolemy's library was, which I was super excited about, that was more of a letdown than I thought it would be. The ruins there were very, very sort of dilapidated and wasn't very much. And you paid a decent price to get in. But there was just very little, whereas the, the real library that they have in Alexandria was beautiful. And we got to go and see that very modern structure and um, really lovely outside. But yeah, I don't think I would really care about going back to Ptolemy's library again, which is really surprising because that's one of the, the one motivations of the trip that I wanted to see. 
Larry has given our listeners some advice in our second episode. Yaz, can you provide a piece of advice to someone who wants to start traveling? I would say do your research beforehand. I think Larry had the right idea where he went away and spent time figuring out what he wanted to do. I've been to plenty of places where we haven't necessarily done what we should have done beforehand because it's a quick weekend trip and you miss out on things. And funnily enough, one of the easiest ways to do a city, essentially, when you go there is TripAdvisor, top 10 things to do, go and figure out what it is that you want to see and map out your day. Don't just sort of wander around and say, oh, I'll go there and then go to the other side of the city and then run back again. Map it all out geographically speaking. And honestly, sometimes you sort of think, oh, I don't have the budget for this. Pay, pay the money to see something. If you're never going to go back to a place, you're within the means of doing it. Pay the money to see something that could be special because you're never going to get that experience um, taken away from you. Thank you guys so much for coming on to talk Cairo. We look forward to next episode where we get to talk a little bit more about your time in Egypt. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inspire Beyond Borders. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IBBpod for updates and pictures from our guests. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button on our podcast.